Um, well, hello. Um, do you want to speak into this? Yes. Uh, w- welcome to the third. Um, thanks, Karen. Third session on caring for your group. I was thinking as I was listening to Andrew that in fact um, you kind of don't need me uh, to say what I'm going to say because I'm just going to say much more slowly what Andrew has said. I want to. Um, I want this to be about realising and encouraging us in the mission of transforming each other uh, into the likeness of Christ. And uh, we do that, uh, as Andrew said, to reuse his phrase, by realising that his word meets us where we are. And really, if I had to sum up what I hope Sonia and I will try to communicate over the next hour and a half, it will be that. Um, But um, because I've got an hour and a half, I'm going to say it more slowly. And um, if I point you to this piece of paper on your uh, table... I think that will be a great help to me. You'll also need a Bible or sight of a Bible. Um, So can I just begin by, uh, in the inside of the cover, getting you to look at box one. Box one describes what Sonia and I set out to do over this year. And I want to show you what I think we have done and where we haven't yet um, to introduce what we want to do today. Um, It was our aim to convince you of something that we have become convinced of which is that whilst almost everybody in this room um, can infuse warmly about how they were saved once in time by the gracious message of the Gospel and can infuse warmly about the hope we have in heaven, we are unbelievably poor at drawing on the promises of the Gospel in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. And um, that really, we devoted, I think, all of the first... um, of our meetings together to trying to show how that's true. Um, If you weren't there, I think it's recorded, um, but just give it some thought. In the second session, um, we wanted to, again, convince you of one thing, which is, um, in a sense, the uh, fallibility and the deceptiveness of the human heart. Um, We were trying to show that how we respond to almost any and every situation in life tells us something crucial about what's going on at the level of the heart. And that's a very important message, but I have a bit of a confession to make, which is, I think, that left a very unbalanced perspective after the last meeting, which is the one we want to fill in today. It left the perspective that um, uh, this gospel work is only about helping people who are manifesting terrible problems and in in deep, deep trouble. When in fact, I think, and I hope that we will show, that exactly the same process that we will use to try to help somebody who is obviously in trouble is the same process as we will use to just urge and exhort and encourage each other on when we're not in trouble. As far as I can tell, there's no difference between the two. Secondly, um, we were so keen to emphasise the importance of the heart that we did very little, having, uh, if you like, underscored the problem um, to glory in the treatment of the Gospel. (laughs) So I'd be a rubbish doctor. I'm a doctor. God, I must be a rubbish doctor. Here we are. We've talked a lot about the diagnosis and we've given you no treatment. So I hope we'll address that balance today. That's our aim. That's what we'd like to do. And we're going to do it broadly in two ways. Um, I think this is... I don't set this out anywhere on the sheet, but um, I'm going to talk for about half an hour, maybe a tiny bit longer if I know myself, um, from the book of Hebrews. Um, And then Sonia uh, is going to talk for a similar period of time based on um, her reflections on people that she's been meeting up with over the last year or so. 
And I hope that we'll find that we're talking about the same thing, but just in two different ways. And then finally, we want to redress another gap from last time, and that is the opportunity for you to ask us questions. We didn't deliberately not give you that opportunity, we just didn't think of it. But I realise that for those of you who are perhaps anxiously taking the first steps um, with trying to be just that little bit braver about um, helping each other to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, you may already have questions. And we've, we've, we've dealt with that individually with a few of you, but not together. So I want to devote potentially a whole half hour to that. So, so that I stick to my rule of half hours, I, I better begin. And I'll start by praying, if that's okay. God, our Father, we want to thank you that the gospel that saved us and the gospel that will bring us home is also the same gospel that works at street level, whether we are um, appearing to grow up in you well or whether we are demonstrating great problems. The same gospel presents you and restores our relationship with you. Would you please um, clarify our thinking over that today? Would you please use... Um, this uh, letter or sermon to the Hebrews to show that it is a biblical idea, not just a bit of psychology. And we ask this for your glory. Amen. Um, would you start by finding the book of Hebrews? And um, it would be really helpful because I'm going to do a bit of dotting about. If you would put a finger or an evangelism card or something at the beginning of the book and then another one at the end of the book so that you can move seamlessly from the front to the back. And I'll give you a few moments to do that. The other thing I'd like you to do um, is to look at the second sheet on our little handout, which has the word, the heading, the froms on it, and be ready if I pick on you to read for me uh, from that list of froms. Well, um, as people just finish looking up, can I say that I absolutely love this letter or sermon to the Hebrews. It's, um, it's got some great stuff. It's got these amazing theological pictures. Jesus Christ in the heavenly throne room interceding on our behalf. It's got wonderful, tangible hopes. Um, this hope is an anchor for the soul. You can almost hold on to it. It's got some great characters. Angels, winds, flames of fire, and Melchizedek, without genealogy, without father or mother, um, he's a priest forever. Um, but is it just a collection of wonderful writings, or does it have a, uh, with a nod to Ben, a purpose? Well, I'd like you to use that hand that's at the back of the book and take a look at Hebrews 13, verse 22. <coughs> give you a moment to get there. Hebrews 13, verse 22, as you will see if you've reached it, says, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. It's a word of exhortation. Now, I, I looked at this with the Y five and six children on Tuesday, and they asked a very reasonable question, what's exhortation? Um, will you jump back to the beginning of the book, to chapter 3? verse 13, where you will find the same word translated, encourage. Encourage one another daily. So whatever this word is, which gives us a view of the purpose of the book, it has the scope to be about uh, exhortation and encouragement. In fact, it turns out that it's the same root as the word that Jesus uses when he describes the Holy Spirit coming when he's departed into heaven. 
the counsellor. I looked the word up, not being a Greek scholar, and I want to read you the definition. Um, this word, which is parakaleo, or paraclete, an anglicisation, is one who consoles or comforts, one who encourages or uplifts, hence refreshes, one who intercedes on our behalf in court. What a great thing. Wouldn't you love a paraclete? Um, it's, I, I've got a mental image of somebody that's a bit like a St Bernard rescue dog, the kind of husband or wife you imagine before you get married, and, uh, and a sort of legal aid advocate all rolled up into one. Who wouldn't want a paraclete? So the obvious question arises, where do I get one? Where do I get a paraclete? Well, look again at chapter 3, verse 13. Let me read it to you again. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, Ben spoke about structure and bookends, and I'm not going to go into this too much, but I want you to look at what I believe is the other bookend to um, this theme in Hebrews, and it's in chapter 10, verse 24. You can see why I asked you to have your hands ready, can't you? Chapter 10, verse 24. As you get there, let me read. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. No, that's not weird. <laughs> let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the answer to our question? Where do I find a paraclete? The answer is, you are a paraclete. We are paracletes to each other. The question is not, where's my paraclete? But, um, let me be your paraclete. And and as an aside, let me just say what a wonderful reflection that is on God's economy. Um, You know, we are um, constitutionally absorbed with ourselves. Our God is a God who curves out to others. And in that instruction, um, that turns us from wondering where my paraclete is to wondering if I can be yours, we we see God's likeness. And the wonderful thing, of course, is that if we all obey it, if I obey the instruction to look for a paraclete in you, you obey the instruction to look for a paraclete in me, we all have a paraclete. That is God's economy. So, as you look at your small group, do you look at them with that mission in mind? Do you look at them as the ones whom you've been called to encourage, to exhort, perhaps to advocate for, That, you see, is our mission. And if you feel reluctant about that, remember remember the one we're called to follow. We're called to follow him and be like him. So, I hope what I've done initially is to convince you that it is biblical that we have the mission of encouraging each other. What I want to do next is look at what that mission really looks like. And I think Hebrews is a wonderful letter for doing that. Um, I want to point out the fact that the mission of the paraclete, the mission we've been given, is a a from-to mission. So it doesn't leave me where I am. It's not the kind of comforter that comes up and just makes me feel better. It's the kind of encourager and uplifter that moves me from where I am to somewhere better. And you'll find that the letter to the Hebrews, the sermon to the Hebrews, is scattered with froms and twos. 
He says where they're at and he says where he wants to get them to. And I'm really hoping that when we do this, as, as we speak this directly to each other, you will get a sense of where he's moving them from and where he's moving them to. And in order to make that um, work, I want, I want to have some readers. Um, will you turn to um, the sheet and the list of proms that occurs uh, on the second page of the sheet? Um, I'm just going to see how many there are. Two, four, six, eight, ten. So I need a, a table of eight and two more people with reasonably loud reading voices to read out where these people are at. I'm going to I'm going to pick on um, on the uh, on the youth table because they look like people with loud voices. And if uh, if we run out of people, uh, then Nick Field and you, and there, if you if you pick it up from there. So. Follow everybody, but beginning with one of you, you, perhaps Selena on the uh, left-hand end as I look, would you read loudly 221 and then take turns reading on from there? We must pay attention to what we've heard so that we do not strip it away. So, as the Holy Spirit said, today, if you need his voice, do not harm your heart. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Since the promise of entering his restless lands, let us be careful that none of you be found to fall and shorten. The message they heard was of no value to them, because they didn't combine it with faith. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain, because you were slow to learn. It's impossible for those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age if they fall away. We want each of you to show the same diligence the very end, in order to make your hope sure, we do not want you to become lazy. So do not go away with confidence, we will be rich and rich. But we are not supposed to shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who believe and are saved. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Thank you very much, my loud voiced brothers and sisters. So, um, let me just read the active, the active words in that back to you again. Listen to this. This is how they are. Drifting away, turning away, falling short, losing faith, slow to learn, falling away, becoming lazy, losing confidence, shrinking back, refusing him. A few things to notice about that list, and it's not a selective list. I've been through the whole letter and I've picked out all the statements that seem to be about where they are. Do you think these people are just slowing down in their faith, or do you think they're turning back? Well, I think the, the most marked thing is that the writer makes no distinction. Those who are slowing down in their walk of faith and those who are turning back, they need the same exhortation. Notice something else. Do you think these are people who are victims of circumstance or people who are done or are doing foolish and wrong things? I think, again, the writer makes no fine distinctions between the two. Circumstances there and responses there. Listen, falling short, slow to learn, is put alongside turning away from the living God, throwing away your confidence, even refusing him. Let me ask you this question. Do you think if the people he's writing to or preaching to in Hebrew were amongst us in our congregation, we'd notice them? 
Do you think if you have one or two in your small group, you'd notice them? Do you think if you are one, you'd notice? We all need the same ministry. Um, Thankfully, it's not just a ministry of telling us where we're at, it's a ministry of moving us to somewhere better. Would you turn over the sheet and, um, again, unselectively, um, I've taken every instruction I can find about where the writer wants to move them to, and I want to do the same thing again, so that you can hear us speaking to each other about this ministry. Um, perhaps I'll start with, um, with the student team this time, uh, and then Kerry Dunning, if you pick it up where they run out, um, that will be excellent. So, box two, box three, Hebrews 2, 1. Loud as you can. We must pay more careful attention to what we observe. Very formally, brothers, we share in heavenly calling, picture of God and Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we respect. Therefore, since we have a great heritage to God the earth, Jesus is one of us, and is all representation of men. Let us then approach the great and greater confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and fulfillment in our time of need. We want each of you to show the same interest to the very end. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You need to persevere so that when you have heard the word of God, you will receive what he has promised. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, and sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the first fear of the great heart out to us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him enjoys the cross. Therefore, strengthen your feeble hearts and weak knees. Thank you very much. Thank you again. I'm going to read you through the active instructions again. Listen to this. Listen carefully to this. Here's where he's getting them to. Pay attention to the gospel. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hold firmly to the faith. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Show the same diligence to the end. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Persevere. Believe. Throw off everything that hinders. Run with perseverance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Strengthen your feeble arms. Yet again, there are several things I want you to notice about what he's doing. Firstly, these people, they are not ignorant of the gospel. They know the gospel. He refers repeatedly to the faith we profess, the hope we profess, the confidence we had at first. But he makes a distinction between professing faith and holding firmly to it. He makes a distinction between confidence we had at first and retaining confidence. He makes a distinction between knowing about God and drawing near to him with a sincere heart. In fact, when he describes them as slow to learn in uh, chapter 6... He then sets out what they already know. And let me tell you, they know their Westminster Confession. Uh, This is what they know about. uh, Repentance from acts that lead to faith, to death. 
a faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is the stuff they know and yet he has still to exhort them. So it's not knowing that's their problem. Um, I expect you've already noticed something else. This sounds like a pre-match pep talk. Persevere. Believe. Um, when um, When I used to be a competitive rower, we did this. We would sit in the back of my coach's Land Rover on the way down to the river. We would turn on the music, Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> and uh, we, would, we would basically visualise the race outcome we wanted. We would visualise crossing the line first and we would say things like, you know, think about the work we've put in. We would say things like, think about how great it will be. We'd hang on to everything possible to set our minds right for the outcome that we wanted. And if you think that some of these instructions sound like that, you are not mistaken. Uh, This is um, an attitude to going on in faith that we save up for sport. (laughs) But he is encouraging them to have for going on in faith. Um, There's a strong element of that, but of course there's a lot more. Here's what the kind of things we used to say in the back of the Land Rover. Think about all the work we've put in. Think about how we won last month. We were thinking about things that we hoped for, but were speculative. But he is able to say, by his death, he destroyed him who holds the power of death and freed those who for all their lives were held slavery in slavery by the fear of death in 2 verses 14 to 15. Do you see the difference? We were convincing ourselves of something hopeful and speculative. When we urge each other on in faith, we we only need to tell each other about something that's already been done and is certain. It would be a bit like us sitting in the back of the Land Rover saying, I hear the opposition have all broken their arms. (laughs) You know, it's that certain. Remember that. There's another big difference. Um, We were focusing on an idea, but have you heard that they are focusing on a person? There's an invitation here, repeated, an invitation to come to a person who lives. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. It is a very different thing to be focusing on a proposition and focusing on a person. And when these guys know the proposition, what they're failing to do is to approach the person of Jesus. So yes, the mission is us in our small groups, you know, sitting in the back of the Land Rover, (coughs) convincing each other, but we have something much better to convince. We only need to remember a certainty that has already happened and to turn towards a person. Our coach was a great guy, a former Olympian, We could have turned towards him, but he wouldn't give us certainty of winning. It still depended on us. When you turn each other towards Jesus, he has done the winning. Do you see the difference? So, what I'm talking about, in a sense, is mission impossible. (laughs) Just to borrow a contemporary cultural idea. It's mission impossible, particularly for this reason. You and I, we are absorbed with ourselves. This mission is about being concerned with the growth of somebody else, the people in your small group. And it's also not about pointing to me, it's about pointing to somebody else. In that respect, we're talking about mission impossible. 
Your mission, should you accept it, is to be absorbed with others, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and to not only turn them towards Jesus, the true paraclete, but actually to walk them there, you know, turn them round, hold their faces, and get them to approach him. We're talking about a transaction with the paraclete who really can help. Now, if you're like me, um, and you feel somewhat, maybe this is a job we are supposed to be doing, and somewhat you understand what the general direction of the mission is, the next question is, how do I do that skillfully? How on earth do I do that skillfully? This is an opportunity for me to stop talking, and I want you to have a look at how the writer to the Hebrews does it skillfully. He does it, in fact, through the whole letter, and I would encourage you, perhaps at a later date, to read how he does it. But we're going to take three, as it were, digestible chunks, and I want you to talk to each other about how he goes about this mission, and then perhaps we'll bring it all together. So if the three tables, most on that side of the room, that's up to the Linsky-Hollingsby table, but not including them, have a look at chapter 2, verses 10 to 18. If the Linsky and Hollingsby tables, as far as uh, the recent um, row table, have a look at chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. And the remaining three tables, have a look at chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. I want you to read those with a few things in mind. In every case, he's presenting them with something. And I want you to work out why, how is, what's he presenting them with and why is he presenting them with, well, let's be upfront, with Jesus, with the Gospel, in this particular way. So two questions only. What's he presenting them with? Why does he present Jesus and the Gospel in this particular way? Um, and we'll come back together in five or ten minutes.